Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. Today I want to look at the pursuit of a good life. I want to remind us briefly as we, introdu- as we get into the introduction into the sermon this morning that Peter was writing to a group of people who were afflicted and suffering. These were not people that were free to worship. These were not people who were enjoying what you and I may call a good life or what we would say the American dream. But yet over and over, Peter did his part to keep them positive, to encourage them, to remind them to honor the Lord regardless of what was going on. Today I would say this to each and every one of us, myself included, we need to love the life that God has given to us. We need to recognize that there are a lot of things that life would bring us to steal our joy. But we maintain joy and we must seek to maintain joy and continue to seek those things of the good life because we recognize in Christ that it's not about all of the external things, but it's a a walk, it's a, a knowledge of Him, it's an internal thing that gives us what we would say would be a good life. I have a great life. Not because I have riches and fame and all of the things that the world may say that we need to accumulate. But I have a good life. Most importantly, I have an amazing Savior. I have a God that loves me. I have a God that gave His Son for me. I have, a, I have forgiveness. I have redemption. I have righteousness through Him. I would say that I have a good life. And as we look at this this morning, over the next several verses, the next several moments this morning, we're going to look at things that, that would be something that we would pursue, that would be something that would really show forth of our lives as to what the good life is. Things like cultivating love, things like having a right attitude, a right response. What are our incentives, our standard? What is the standard of a good life? Making Christ the Lord of our lives, having a good and a pure conscience. So this morning, if you would, and grab your Bible and a copy of God's Word, and we'll be in First Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse number 8. We'll go to verse number 17 this morning as we're going to look at a pursuit of the good life. A pursuit of the good life. First Peter 3, verse number 8 says this. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him repaint or refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you. If ye be followers of that which is good. But. And if ye suffer for righteousness sake. Happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled. 
But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Father, this morning I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths. I thank you for the promises. I thank you, God, for the, the challenges. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at this passage of Scripture, a pursuit of the good life, Lord, that we would be able to look inside, that we would look in the mirror, that we would begin to to look at ourselves and see what we are pursuing after. Maybe this is a a reminder. Maybe this is a little bit of a rewind. I don't know. But Lord, this morning, I pray that as we face life, as we face every single day, that we would do it in pursuit of you and what you have for us. Lord God, I ask this morning that you would meet with us For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. A pursuit of the good life. The first thought this morning is this, a pursuit of a Christ-like love. All throughout Peter's letter, we see God's love for us and also that we are to love others. A lot of this love is simply an attitude. I don't know about you, but I can, I say this often, I can only speak for myself, but A lot of times when we look at love, when we look at all these things, it's really an attitude. It's a decision. It's a choice that I make. I am going to choose to do this. In your marriage, I was just, I was with Betty the other day and she was speaking of 66 years of marriage that they'll be celebrating in the next several months. I mean, that's a life. People don't live 66 years. They've been married for 66 years. And as we were just talking and uh, cutting up and things, I think that is a choice made that I am going to love and and fight because it's worth it. You know, it's often the same thing with our decision to walk with Christ. Hey, there's days that are not always the greatest days ever. I don't wake up every day and jump out of bed and grab my Bible and say, Hey, God, here we are again. No, there's certain days just like you that I have that are like, Man, I just, I don't know that I want to do this. I'm tired. It's been a long week. I didn't like the news that I got the other day from my cousin, from my relative, from my friend. I don't like the the diagnosis that we saw and and, and the, the test that we had this week, whatever it would be. And things are tough and things aren't always easy, but it's a choice. It's an attitude of the mind that no, regardless, God, I am going to serve you. I am going to love you. And I know that it's going to be hard at times, but I'm going to do, I'm choosing to do this. And as we go through this, oftentimes it is an attitude. And Peter comes to a place wrapping up this thought as we've talked the last several weeks of submission and says, finally, finally, as you pursue the good life, there must be, what are the things that are the outcome of that? And we see here this morning throughout this passage of scripture, he says, love God Love God's people and be in unity. We look at this passage in in verse 8. Finally, be all of one mind. Speaking of love, that we would be in unity, that we would be harmonious with one another. Unity and harmony are not uniformity. 
but it is cooperation in diversity. It is a common commitment in life. It is for you and I as believers. There are some certain things, there are certain things, there are core things that as believers we should be able to unite together with and say, regardless of this, we are, we are reaching people for Christ. We're going to stand firm on God's word and we're going to reach people and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And regardless of, of how that happens, oftentimes churches fight and Christians fight over some of the hows not the, the, the real meat of what it is. No, there's some common things amongst all of us as believers in Christ. And that doesn't mean, and unity does not mean that we are all robots together and, and, and we're all going to do, no. But it does mean that we unite around those things and we continue to pursue. We would love God's people. We would be in unity. We would have compassion having a sympathetic heart and sharing the same feelings. We are to unite on the truth, but also sympathize to be compassionate with the pain of others. I think if there's one thing that believers do really bad, is we stand firm on the truth, but we have no compassion and love in the truth. There's right and there's wrong, and I am with you. But there's also a right and a wrong way to tell somebody that they are right or wrong. And so often, we miss the whole speaking the truth in love portion of that. We miss that so many times. We have to have compassion. Peter writes here and he says, have compassion. Being of one mind, having compassion one of another. We would come alongside and love and encourage. Listen, and that's not just the people in the church. That's your neighbors. That's, that goes beyond. Oftentimes we're worse to the people in our church. That we would love the brethren. You know, it's oftentimes we, I speak often of family within the church. One, because I believe it's just God called us to be a family and but I believe as we look here inside of this, these walls, I've said this a million times, this is my family. You are my family. My kids have cousins. They live all around the country. They don't have cousins here. They don't have a lot of the things that I grew up with. They don't have that because of we live in a different place, 3,000 miles away from most of our family. Their cousins are here. A lot of their aunts and uncles, though they don't call you aunt or uncle, they're sitting in this room. They have people that they call Poppy or Nana that are not their real Poppy or Nana by blood, but their family that are in this church. We ought to love as brethren. You know, now sometimes this isn't the case. Sometimes it's the complete opposite. But typically, we love our family a little bit different than we love others. I'll call my sister dumb, but you call my sister dumb and we're going to have a fight, right? That's kind of how it is. We give, we do things towards our brothers and sisters. Now, sometimes it's not that way at all, and I'm very well aware of that. As you grow up as adults, a lot of those things change. But typically our families are, we're giving, we're selfless more towards one another. God's Word says that we would love each other as family, that we'd be selfless, that we'd be giving of one another. A Christ-like love would show itself in pity, having a tenderness of heart towards others. This is a love, this love is, it's a pity that affects, listen, this is literally that 
Have you ever seen something that you just feel sad for? It's a pity. It's, and it literally just in the gut of your stomach, you're just, it, it turns your stomach. It hurts almost. The other day, we drop off the kids for the first day of school. And, and, and we're, Mindy and I stood there last Monday, and, and we, were, we were taking the kids, and they all get in line, and they do their morning ceremonies, whatever it is. And we're standing back, and all the teachers are in line, and kids are being dropped off. And this one little girl just has this box of stuff. And Mindy and I just kept telling we, would, we were there long enough to know where most people were. And so we were like, oh, what are you looking for? And we would help as if we're working there. And this one little girl was just kind of standing there. We're like, can we help you find, who are you trying to find? So we stopped and we get down at this girl's level and we tried to help. And Mindy, we, we eventually took her around to the front and that's your teacher. Yes. But she just kind of stood there. And Mindy's like, oh, I just want to cry. That may be so simple, but it's genuinely having a, an affection, a pity. It, it almost hurts. Listen, if you've watched the news this week, and I'll, just, and I'll say it what it is, if that doesn't hurt you in the core of who you are, you have a problem. What's been all over our news for the last week, week and a half, really for a long time, that should hurt us as believers to see believers fighting believers but just the pain that is in, the division that is in our community, in our country. That should hurt us. Regardless of your political view, regardless of any of those things, it really should affect me as a believer. Why? Because as I love people, as I strive to be Christ-like, as I strive to know God, I, I should develop a desire to see people Loving God. Listen, what we face on the news today, it's real simple. It's a gospel problem. It's a sin problem. And it should hurt. It should affect me. Christ-like love will be courteous. That isn't just that we would open the door for a, an older man or a woman or somebody else, but it's that we would be humble in mind. Humble spirit, a humility about us. A Christ-like love is a part of a pursuit of the good life. When we love like Christ, we have a humility, we have a peace, we have a joy about our lives. He continues to go on, he says, um, as, he, as he keeps writing, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue, I'm sorry, not rendering evil for evil, in verse number 9, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are there unto, unto the called. As we look at this passage, he continues to go on. Our response should be right. Not only should we love like Christ, but as we are moving forward with life, listen, not everything that we go and everything we come against is going to be roses, and we know that. There's people that don't like you. It speaks of evil, and what's my response to evil? It is that I wouldn't have an eye-for-an-eye mentality, a tooth-for-a-tooth mentality. Listen, just because somebody disagrees with you does not mean that you have to like, I am never allowed to talk to you ever again. Our culture has ruined actual conversation and debate. Because we can't have it any longer. Because if you don't agree with me, then we can't speak to each other. It's wrong. Peter says, those that are being beaten and suffering, he says this, that they 
would bless. That they would give a blessing. So those that are being treated ill, that those are being, the evil is coming against them, that you would give a blessing, that you would be a blessing to those that are being evil towards you. Not how we often live, in an eye for an eye. He says, not an insult for an insult. I would say this, oftentimes we need to keep our lips shut. Or in our day and age, our fingers off the social media site. But many times we can't. And we have to do an insult for an insult. We have to get into those debates, those arguments. And just because there's a debate, there's, a, there's somebody that has a differing opinion than you. Peter tried to return evil for evil, did he not? I've said this story, I don't know how many times throughout this series. Peter did his part to return evil for evil. Jesus was arrested. What did Peter do? Here you go. No, he grabbed the sword and he cut the dude's ear off. He, he attempted that. Have you attempted that before? How well does it work out for you? If you're a Christian and you're truly a follower of God and you've attempted evil for evil, which every person in this room has, I would assume... If you're truly seeking after Christ, you walked away from the conversation, you walked away from the situation, and it may not have been within the first five minutes, but at some point over the next day or two, you were like, why did I do that? That was really dumb. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If you were to love Christ and to do the things that God has called us to do, Peter says to do that as you'll receive a blessing. I don't know about you. But one of the greatest blessings and the greatest things that I enjoy is to do something for somebody and to watch the expression or to be a blessing to somebody. Man, I love to give a gift. Have you ever been at the store and maybe it wasn't intentional, it just kind of was one of those things where the person in front of you did not have the extra $3 and whatever it is. And you said, you know what, just don't worry about it, I'll cover that. Man, that's the, one of the greatest blessings. It's not expected. It's, it's just great. Sometimes it's just it's the same thing for those that are trying to attempt to do something against you. And you're just a blessing to them. Hey, I'm just going to be kind. Why? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. Our standard must be God's word. We must decide to love life. It's our attitude. It's a choice. Solomon hated life. It became about more and more and more about uh, the things that he had and not, he just didn't love life. He didn't live life any longer. He was at that point just enduring life. I don't know about you. I don't want to be here just to endure through this. Uh, follow those people on Facebook and it's about five minutes later you've unfriended them. Why? I don't need your drama every day. I'm not here to endure through this miserable life called life. There's a miserable thing called life. We all have bad things. We all have stuff. And I want to live life and I want to do it with joy and happiness and I want to go about my day. I don't want to have to be miserable because I don't have to be miserable. I can choose to love life. I can choose to love Christ. I can choose to live it. As a Christian, you should not be gloom and doom every day. You shouldn't. I don't have to. This is a good life that we get to live. We must decide to love it. 
We must live life understanding that God is in control. He continues on, and I'm wrapping up this point, but we must control our tongue. We must do good and hate evil. We must seek seek to pursue peace. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. God's eyes are watching us. Here's what we end up, and I am the first. I've found myself in this situation far too many times, and then I've had to go back and go, why? Have you ever done something because it was just the right thing to do, and then you got finished and you felt, why did they take advantage of me? Maybe it's at work in your office, and you're always the one that seems to go the extra mile, and then next thing you know, they're asking, oh, will you do this? And it's, why do they, and then you're finished, and you're like, they just ask me, just, they're just taking advantage of me. You know what? Who cares? Who cares? I've been there. Where you leave and you're thinking, man, they're just taking advantage of me. They're taking advantage of me. Why are they doing this? I don't, I've not asked for this. But, you know, at the end of the day, when we look at these things, our eyes are on the Lord seeking righteous. And then he says this, that his eyes are, he's watching you. Not only is he watching you, he's very well aware of the guy that's taking advantage of you at your workplace. It doesn't catch him off guard. He's, his ears are also listening to you. And so I would say that it's okay. Hey, if I go to work tomorrow and I'm taken advantage of because I'm just serving those people around me, it's okay. God knows my heart and he'll take care of you. He'll provide for you. He'll give you and put you in the places that you need to be put in place of. So we have a pursuit of love, a Christ-like love. That we would love in unity, that we would have compassion, that we would love the brethren, have pity, be courteous. And I don't know about you, but as I've read through those things, as I studied them this week, the one thing that I thought of, if I did all of those things, that provides me with a lot less stress in my life. I don't know about you, but stress is usually not part of my good life. It's what puts people in the hospital with heart attacks and all the other things. A pursuit of Christ as Lord. A pursuit of Christ as Lord. There's hostilities toward believers in our culture and society. There are and have always been hostilities. Maybe today we look at it as things are growing in the the American culture, but it isn't new. Peter, again, was writing to a group of people who were truly being persecuted. Yet he said unto them, Who is it? Who is it that harms? In verse 13, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Listen, typically, when you're doing the right thing, people aren't physically harming you. Right? Right? When you're going about your day and you're doing the things that you're supposed to do and, and you're a good person, a good-hearted, kind-hearted, tender-hearted person and you're going about your day, typically the guy that's just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to come and I'm going to beat this guy up. I'm going to make this guy suffer. Typically that's not the guy that that happens to. And that's kind of what Peter was saying here. Hey, who is going to do this? But he continues on and he says, but 
If ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Hey, if you're the guy that's going about and doing your deal and living life, he even says that the zealous, they were were seeking, they desire to do the right thing. And if you come across that thing, that, that person, that situation where you are being persecuted or suffering, whatever it is, he says, but if you do suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. What an honor, what a privilege to stand for right by your actions and the character of your life. Hey, we may face crisis. Listen, there's not a person in this room that's not tempted to do wrong. That's not tempted with situations or decisions that need to be made. There's not a person in this room that hasn't come across a circumstance where they weren't somewhat maybe fearful. Maybe not for your life, but you were fearful of a circumstance. Verse 15, Peter said this in the letter, But sanctify, set apart Christ as the Lord of your heart. We need not fear men or circumstance. We need not fear them. You know, the worst thing that you or I can do, especially as a believer, is just fail to trust God. It's fail to place my faith and trust in God. What this thought is, this second point here, that we would pursue Christ as the Lord of our lives, it's that in your suffering... Peter's writing to a group of believers that were suffering for the persecution of Christ and the things that they were dealing with. In that suffering, are you okay? Because Christ is in the center. It wasn't long ago I did the whole thing with Christ being the hub and all the spokes come outside of that. Hey, I can handle a lot of things so long as my my center is, is perfectly centered. Or maybe it is my foundation is solid. I can face those things. And as Christ is the Lord, as Christ is on the, the, the main place, whether it's the hub or the foundation, whatever it is, as that is the situation, I can handle quite a bit because I can say, God, here it is. It says blessed. That we would be blessed. Oftentimes, Blessing is looked at as a happy thing or a joyful thing. But really what this is looking at, that that we would be honored. We would understand and honor and take that honor. What a, what a blessing that it is. What an honor that it is to, to be in this situation because Christ put me in this situation. I think for each of us, as we look at this, it's that our lives would be right scripturally, not so much culturally. That our lives would be right scripturally, not so much culturally. When Christ is the Lord of your life, each crisis becomes an opportunity for witness. And as we go through this, we continue through this passage of scripture... It speaks of those things. Who would harm that person that is good? And he says, but suffer. And then it goes on to 15. But sanctify or set apart the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to every man. 
And as I look at this passage and as I study through it and I read through it, I think of this. Every circumstance that I have in my life, specifically with this, talking of suffering or dealing with things that are rough, is an opportunity to share Christ. It is an opportunity to witness. And what greater opportunity that we have to witness than when things aren't what they ought to be. When you're going through it, and you stand firm, and you stand strong, and you keep a smile on your face, and you maintain joy, and you maintain happiness. I'm not talking about just everything is a bunch of roses, and we understand that that's not life. But it's okay. It's okay to hurt, it's okay to have fears, it's okay to cry, it's okay to all those things. But as a believer in Christ, when life hits... And the suffering happens and the crisis happens and whatever it is in your life, when those around you look at you and say, how did you or what did you do or why did you act or whatever those things might be, when that is the response, it is an opportunity to witness the greatness of God. Is there any greater opportunity to to have a a passing of a family, uh, a bad a bad situation at the doctor where the diagnosis wasn't what you were hoping for or whatever it would be a suffering situation at work where co-worker x is just a jerk to you every single day and you just live through it you you face it every day and next thing you know somebody else is like how do you do that why don't you just knock this guy out How are you standing up after just losing a spouse? How are you standing up after going through that situation? How are you standing up after this? And how do you put a smile on your face? And God's word says this, be ready always to give an answer. And here's the answer. What a blessing. What an honor that it is in that situation to be able to say, The grace of God. I can have a smile on my face. Not because I don't hurt. Not because I don't have anger. But man, I serve an amazing God. I've watched God do this in my life. The grace of God has been real in my life. The song, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You go through all of these different things. We sung that uh, song this morning. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to me. We didn't sing that, did we? How great thou art. That's in my notes, but we didn't sing that. We sang the other one in my notes. You're all looking at me like you're an idiot right now. You love me anyway. Thank you. Thank you. We did the other one, it is well with my soul, when peace like a river. And as we go through life and circumstances, trials, life, I get it, this passage is talking about the suffering as a believer because of your faith. But you can take that as that, you can take it in any situation and say, because of this, it's the grace of God that brought me here. Many of you have a testimony. That is that of, you went to work one day, and it was alcohol, and it was 
and it was language, and it was this, and the home was breaking, and there was abuse, and there was all these things, and Jesus came in, in the next couple days, in the next few weeks, in the next few months, everybody around you is saying, who are you? What has happened to you? And you stop, and you step back, and you say, you may even say it, honestly, I don't, I can't explain it, but God, I gave my life to Jesus. I really don't know how to explain it, but I gave my life to Jesus. Listen, in a circumstance when you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, you may not be able to explain it in the right manner, but you say, God is good and He's given me grace to get through whatever the circumstance is. That is an opportunity, a witness in the, in the situation, in the crisis of life. And He says that we would do that. In this passage in 15, ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. With meekness or with respect, with fear, with that we would witness to the amazing grace of God out of sheer humility of how good our God is. Listen. This passage is often used within the apologetics of our society of arguing for Christ. I believe that, yes, there's times that we need to have a true discussion. But I would also say this. It's very difficult to get into a true heated argument with meekness and fear. We need to humbly share how good God is when those situations arise. I don't have to. goes back to the truth in love. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not here to debate with you. I'm here to simply tell you that God's amazing grace was real to me. And if we're able to have those conversations beyond that as to how that works, and we can do that. But when it comes to these circumstances, when it comes to your situation, it is that we would just simply, you don't, you don't do this in, the, in a manner in front of somebody, but that we would literally, in our hearts, when those opportunities arise, we would say, I really can't even express it. But the grace of God that is there is so real. And, and I I really don't know how to tell you, but God is good. And it's that grace, it's that goodness that I'm able to stand in this situation. That I'm able to go through a suffering situation. So a pursuit of a Christ-like love. A pursuit of Christ as Lord, and this morning as we wrap up, a pursuit of a good conscience. A pursuit of a good conscience. In pursuing a good life, we need to pursue a good conscience. Peter was writing and said, having a good conscience. If there is one thing that allows for a good life, a happy life, a secure life, it is that of having a good conscience. There's not much worse than having to deal with having a bad conscience. I've shared this story over and over again. As a child, doing wrong, coming home, mom or dad would say, 
Aaron Elijah, why don't you come up to the room? Or Aaron, I have a question for you. Inside of my gut, just turning. Because I knew I'd done wrong. And I get up to the room, or I get up to the kitchen, or I go wherever it was. Absolutely nothing came of what I thought uh, they found out. But throughout the whole time, my gut is turning. I'm thinking I'm busted. And you go and you sit down and you're kind of, I don't know what the mood or the tone of my, or the facial expressions, whatever it is. And you sit there knowing that you had done wrong, thinking that you got caught. And there's nothing more miserable than living a life like that. God's word, that's, that's not a, that's not a, a good life. Of having to constantly look over our shoulders and wondering who will find out or who will learn of what I've done. Conscience may be compared to, I loved this when I was reading it, a conscience may be compared to a window that lets in the light of God's truth. If we persist in disobeying, the window gets dirtier and dirtier until the light cannot enter. It leads to a defiled conscience. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15 says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. A seared conscience is one that has been so sinned against that it no longer is sensitive to what is right. 1 Timothy 4, it says that basic thing, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It is possible that our conscience be so poisoned that it approves things that are bad. And accuses when the person does good. Having an evil conscience, it speaks of in Hebrews 10. Think about this. A criminal feels guilty if he squeals on his friend, but happy if he succeeds in a crime. I don't want to be the guy that tells who did what. Because I would feel bad if I did that and they got in trouble. But I have no problem doing an illegal act over here. Our conscience is seared. I don't know, I guess I've known this or you think of this, but reading it just made this come true to me, so I share it with you this morning. Having a conscience is rooted in knowledge. The greater the knowledge one has, the greater his conscience is on a subject. If I do something, and we all know this, but if I do something, but I don't truly or I have an ignorance towards it. And I've done it wrong, maybe. I don't leave going, oh, I feel really bad doing it. Because I didn't really know. But if I know to do X, Y, or Z, and I choose to do something else, my conscience tells me that I had done something wrong. Maybe it's your first or second day on the job at work and you go in and they're telling, hey, you got to do this and this. And you go and you begin to do that and somebody comes up beside you and says, hey, that's not the right way to do that. That's not, hey, you're going to get hurt if you continue to do this. My conscience isn't, oh, my word. No, I, oh, well, can you show me how? But if I know to do this and I choose to do the other, why? Because I have the knowledge base. I have the knowledge base. Having a good conscience helps you and I as a believer in the times of trial and the time of opposition. Because it fortifies me with courage. Because I know to do what is right with God and men. 
Therefore, I don't need to be afraid. A good conscience gives us a peace in our hearts. And when we have that peace within, we can face battles from without. The restlessness of an uneasy conscience divides the heart and drains the strength of a person. Being unable to function at our best. A good conscience removes us from the fear of what other people may know about us. Or say against us. Or do to us. When Christ is Lord and we fear only God, we need not fear the threats, opinions, or actions of others that are around us. As a believer, we have the Holy Spirit, which is greater than that of our conscience. When we look at all of these different things and we look at a pursuit of a good life, and we try to put it all together, what is a good life? What does that look like? And we go through some of the things that we've looked at. And we come through what we've looked at, having a Christ-like love. And having that Christ-like love, being able to pursue Christ and having Jesus Christ as the, the Lord of our lives and, and knowing and understanding and trusting the sovereignty of God. And then we come to this, this conscience. I think of stories like Joseph. Joseph chose to do right in the midst of the opportunity to do whatever he wanted. In his choosing to do right, his conscience allowed him to do right and then go into prison knowing that he had done nothing wrong. Daniel, the, the government around Daniel snuck around him basically and deceived him and as Daniel chose to do right Daniel was thrown into the lion's den he had no he had a right conscience and in his pure heart and in the conscience between him and God he knew that listen I done right why because he was able to stand up why because he knew he had done right there was nothing there I don't know about you and the life that you leave, lead. But it's nice to be able to stand before you or stand before a family or stand before whatever with a good, clean conscience because you have done your best to love God. You have done your best to seek God that He would be the Lord of your life. And so that when life comes and struggles come and all the things that face us happen, you can stand with a pure heart, with a pure conscience before man and before God and accept whatever that it is that needs to come. As we live and honor Christ in and through our lives, as we pursue a good life, as we pursue a life of loving Christ and honoring Him, as you pursue making Christ the Lord of your life, allowing and giving you a, a good conscience, you'll see and experience the good life. As times of difficulty come to the church, we must cultivate Christian love. For we will need one another's help and encouragement as never before. We must also maintain a good conscience because a good conscience makes for a strong backbone and a courageous witness. The secret is to practice the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he would be the Lord of our life. If we fear God, we need not fear men. Shame arises from the fear of men. Conscience 
from the fear of God. Shame arises from the fear of men. Conscience from the fear of God. So this morning, the good life starts with the pursuit of a Christ-like love. It is not something that is easy, but something that we have to work at, something that we must do. It must be a determination, an attitude of our mind. We must have a Christ-like love. I've said this many times from this pulpit. I said it just a few moments ago. I seek to the best of my ability to lead according to God's word. I desire that we would be a church, a united church, loving one another, encouraging one another, serving our community. That all starts with each individual in this room seeking to have a Christ-like love. And as I can have a Christ-like love, as I can be courteous, as I can have a pity in my heart for those around me, as I, can, as I strive to do those things, and those are the action steps from that, I can stand before you to the best of my knowledge and to the best of my ability, pure and conscious. I can tell you, my life's not perfect, but I think that I have a pretty good life. Why? Because though I'm not perfect, I strive to love like Christ. I strive to be courteous. I strive to have pity in my heart. I ask God, God, show me, help me, guide me. I strive that, I, I pray that it never happens, but if I'm ever in a situation where it's suffering for Christ in a genuine, real manner, not that somebody just called me a mean name. But that I would, by the grace of God, have God as the Lord of my life. And I would be able to say, God, you are sovereign. I don't like this, but I'm going to go through it. And I'm going to do so with a pure and a conscious heart. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.